in front of people that you can't possibly be an introvert, but I'm actually an introvert. And what I mean by that is that when I get around more than about 10 people and I need to engage in conversation, it drains me. I mean, by the, by the end of the time, I am, I am just completely wiped out. That's not to say that I don't enjoy it. It's just, it's hard work for me because I'm introverted. And Maybe adults don't call themselves shy very often. Maybe we say that we're introverted. Maybe I am shy. I don't know. And you might be that way. You might understand what I'm talking about. But whether you're an introvert or an extrovert, I think we can all agree that it's, it's sometimes intimidating to talk to people about your faith. I mean, it can be a little bit hard to muster up the courage. And today, this is what we're going to be talking about, this this thing called evangelism, sharing your faith with people. And I think it's going to be a real encouragement to you. And I don't think that it's, it's going to in any way um, guilt you into getting out there and having forced conversations. When I was in college is when I met the Lord. Jesus, I mean, radically changed my life. And I was on fire, passionate, and I wanted to grow in every single area of my relationship with the Lord. And so I started to study this, this thing called evangelism and came across some, some things and sort of became convinced that the way that I had to evangelize was I had to be on the street and I had to be engaging with strangers and kind of like starting from scratch. I thought that that's the only way that you could do evangelism. And so I rounded up a group of equally zealous uh, friends of mine, and we went out every Friday night, and we did this. In a college town, you know, the streets lined with bars. We basically scanned the crowd, and we're looking for anyone coherent enough to have a conversation. Or if we were really nervous, looking for someone who was too drunk to really understand what we were saying. But basically, we thought that this was the only way to do evangelism. And I know that God used that time. I know that he used those conversations. But what I want to share this morning is that there is more to evangelism than simply going out on the street and engaging strangers. And um, that, if you are an introvert like me, that's encouraging. And, and actually, what, what we're going to look at is that this is something that we should be doing within the context of our normal life. And it's something that can happen very naturally if we are being led by the Lord. So... Um, so whether or not you're an introvert, I think that, that you're with me on this. This, this can be hard, and, and, and I think that a, a lot of the reason that it can be hard is because we just have some wrong ideas about it. So um, I just want you to know right off the bat, this isn't going to be a, a guilt-driven sermon at all, all right? It's going to be an encouragement, I think, and I think that um, it's going to really um, help you see this in a different way. Uh, maybe you would call yourself a backpedaler. Maybe when spiritual things come up in a conversation, you sort of backpedal your way out of the conversation because you don't want it to go there. Or maybe you are the bull in a china shop Christian. 
Maybe you have a lot of conversations with people about Jesus once, and, and they don't ever want to talk to you again after that. Because when it, gets, when it comes to talking about Jesus, you just get really fired up, and for some reason, by the end of the conversation, your face is red and you're spitting, and you can't understand why they don't want what you've got, right? But whether you are that person or whether you are the person who kind of avoids the conversation, I still have encouragement for you this morning. And maybe you're the sidelines and loving it, Christian. Maybe you don't ever talk to people about your faith and you're good with that. And that's a very intentional thing. And maybe you think that your faith is a private issue and it's no one else's business. But let me just tell you that if you're a follower of Jesus, your faith is not private. Your faith cannot be private if you are going to follow Jesus because Jesus very clearly instructs us to go and make disciples. And he very clearly tells us to go and be his witnesses. So this morning, we're going to see how we do that. And we're going to look at some of the lies that maybe we've believed that keeps us from doing that. Um, What is a witness anyways? A witness is someone who testifies about something they know. Okay, a witness is simply someone who testifies, who tells others about something they know. And maybe even a more simple definition in our, for, for our purposes, a witness is someone who points others to Jesus. Okay, and there's a lot of different ways that we can point someone to Jesus. But we are witnessing about what Jesus has done what he's done for all of the world, what he's done to provide a way to have salvation, the gospel, and a witness is someone who is telling people about what he is doing currently in your life. So those are the two things that we are witnessing about. We are saying, this is what Jesus has done. I know this to be true. This is who he is. And this is what he is doing in his done in my own life, and I know that to be true as well. In Mark 5, 19, after healing a demon-possessed man, Jesus says to him, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and everyone marveled. So Jesus heals this guy, and he says, now go tell everybody what I did. Go tell everyone about the mercy that you've received. Tell them your personal story. We've been going through the book of Acts. We started back in May and kind of took a little break. And we're back in it and we're, we're in chapter 9. If you have a Bible, go ahead and turn to chapter 9. If you don't have a Bible and would like one, um, just slip your hand up and we'll get one to you. It's our gift to you. Um, and it's also on your sheet. All the verses are on your sheet as well. But in the very first chapter of Acts, when we, when we first started this, Jesus, before he ascends into heaven, says, you're going to receive power. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. You will be my witnesses Every one of us who follow Jesus are called to this. We're called to be his witnesses. And then 1 Peter 3.15 
tells us always be ready to give a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Be ready when someone asks you. So today we're going to look at chapter 9 and the last verses in chapter 9, starting in in verse 32. And we're going to see what can happen as someone witnesses to what Jesus has done. All right, verse 32. Now, as Peter went here and there among them all, he came down also to the saints who lived at Lydda. There he found a man named Aeneas, bedridden for eight years, who was paralyzed. And Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise and make your bed. And immediately he rose, and all the residents of Lydda and Sharon saw him, and they turned to the Lord. Now there was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha, which translated Dorcas, unfortunately for her. Um, But really, that's just the Greek version of Tabitha. They both mean gazelle, but it's still unfortunate. She was full of good works and acts of charity. In those days, she became ill and died, and when they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. Since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples, hearing that Peter was there, sent two men to him, urging him, please, Come with us without delay. So Peter rose and went with them. When he arrived, they took him to the upper room. All the widows stood beside him, weeping and showing tunics and other garments that Dorcas had made while she was with them. But Peter put them all outside and knelt down and prayed. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes. And when she saw Peter, she sat up. And he gave her his hand and raised her up. Then, calling the saints and widows He presented her alive, and it became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. And he stayed in Joppa for many days with one Simon, a tanner. So there are two verses that I really want to pull out of this text and look at for our encouragement this morning. The first is verse 35. It says, And all the residents of Lydda and Sharon saw him, and they turned to the Lord. In other words, one person was healed by Jesus. One person's testimony, one person was touched by Jesus, and two entire communities turned to the Lord as a result. It's incredible. And then another verse, verse 42, and it became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. So because Tabitha was raised from the dead, because of her testimony, because one person had been touched by Jesus, All the people in the whole city heard and many believed in Jesus. Here is the really big encouragement for us. Here's what we need to see this morning. One person's testimony. One person's story of how they've been touched by Jesus in the hands of God can absolutely transform an entire community. That's what we can see here. And you might say, well, I... I have a, yeah, you know, I have a testimony, but I wasn't, I wasn't paralyzed and then healed or raised from the dead. But here's the reality. You have been raised from the dead. If you are born again, if you have put your faith in Jesus Christ and he's put a new heart in you, then you have been raised from the dead and it's miraculous. It is absolutely miraculous. You have been brought from death to life. You have been taken out of the kingdom of darkness and been placed in the kingdom of light. And your testimony is 
miraculous. And your testimony is enough in the hands of God to turn an entire community to the Lord. Don't miss how huge this is. I mean, what if one day we, someone somewhere was reading and all the people of Wilmington turned to the Lord because of one person's testimony or all the people of West Dover heard and turned to the Lord because of one person's testimony. Here's the encouragement. Your story can be used by God to change lives. Your story can. If you've been changed by Jesus, if you've been given new life, then your story can absolutely be used by God. Our testimonies are powerful in the hands of God. See, ultimately God does all miracles in our lives. Every miracle for his glory. It is all for his glory. And he doesn't do it so that we can keep it to ourselves. He doesn't save us so that we can simply hole up and hide out until Jesus comes back. He has done miracles in our lives so that we can tell the world it's for his glory. Jesus didn't change you. God didn't give you abundant life so that you could keep it to yourself. He gave that life to you so that you could share it with others. And you have a miraculous testimony. Maybe you've been a Christian for a decade or more, and at this point you don't have as many friends. Maybe you don't have any friends who don't follow Jesus. Maybe you just finished the moat around your home, and you get home and you pull the drawbridge up so that no worldly people can come in and influence you and your family. If that's you, that is a real problem. That is a huge problem. It's not following the example of Jesus. Jesus was the friend of sinners. He was the friend of tax collectors, crooked tax collectors, and prostitutes. And he got in a lot of trouble with the religious leaders for that. He came to befriend those who were far from God. So we, if we are trying to keep ourselves away from those who don't know Jesus, then we are making a huge mistake. There is no impact without contact. There is no impact without contact. God wants you, he wants you to be salt and light, but you can't be light for people if your doors are shut and the windows, the shades are pulled closed. You can't be light. So if that's you, if you don't have Christian friends, then the first encouragement here is, find, if you don't have non-Christian friends, sorry, then find ways to make friends with people who are far from God. Engage with them. Use your hobby. You know, use your, whatever it is that you enjoy doing and, and find a way to make some new friends. That's not to say that, that you will do everything that they do. God's called us to come out and be separate but he's also called us to befriend sinners. So the goal as a, our goal as a Christian is not to avoid the world. You are going to have all of eternity to spend with people who know and love and worship Jesus. The one thing that you cannot do in heaven is you cannot lead someone to Christ. 
You cannot do that in heaven, but you can do it now. How did you come to faith in Jesus? How did you do that? Who, who was instrumental in that? Who did God use to lead you to faith in Jesus? Who gave you an invitation or explained what they believed? Or who told you about what God was doing in their life? What's your story? What if those people had not stepped out? What if they hadn't gotten out of their comfort zone? What if they hadn't spoken to you? Your testimony could be the testimony that changes someone's eternity and changes their life. Know your testimony. It's really important that you, that you know it well. Write it out. I would encourage you, write it out and familiarize yourself with it so that you can articulate it well. So that when that door swings open and you have that perfect opportunity, you know what you're going to say. You've thought through it before. You've written it out. Familiarize yourself with your own story. Hopefully, if you're sitting here, you want to be a witness for Jesus. Hopefully, that's at least a desire. My aim this morning is to give you a greater confidence in doing that. My aim is to show us some of the lies that we believe that keep us from doing that so that we can throw those lies out. So here I'm going to just quickly address a few of these specific lies and then I'm going to summarize practically how we can be a better witness for Jesus. All right, lie number one that keeps us from being a witness for Jesus is I don't know enough of the Bible to talk to people about Jesus. Maybe you feel like, you might come in, you, might, you know, you might run into a question that you don't know the answer to and that scares you or, you know, it's going to get really deep really fast and you won't know how to handle that. Here's the truth. A witness is simply someone who tells what they know. If you know enough to have your faith in Jesus, then you know enough to lead someone to faith in Jesus. A witness simply tells what they know. Don't buy the lie that you don't know enough of the Bible to share with people about Jesus. Just tell them your story. Start there. You can, you can surely do that. And you know what? It's really hard to argue with someone about their experience. So don't believe that you don't know enough to share with people about Jesus. The second lie that I think that we, we often believe that keeps us from sharing with people about Jesus is that the people that you know, the people that I know, they don't, they don't want to hear about Jesus. That's, that's oftentimes what we believe. Well, I'm, as I'm thinking about the people I know, they don't really want to hear about Jesus. That's not true. We were all, every person was created by God and for God. Every person. And until they know who created them and why they were created, they will be searching. And that's going to look different for different people. It may look like going to the bar and, you know, trying to seek God. They don't know that they're seeking God. But that's what they're looking for. They're empty until they find God, until they find who 
created them and why they were created. Don't believe that people don't want to hear this good news. And here's another thing. Every person instinctively knows that they were made for more than their days on this earth. The way the Bible says it in Ecclesiastes 3.11 is that God has made everything beautiful in its time and also he has put eternity into man's heart. God has put eternity into people's hearts, into all of our hearts. Every person that you know, they know instinctively that they were made for more than their days on this earth. So speak to them with that confidence. The single greatest gift that you can give to anyone is to introduce them to the God who made them. And don't forget, this is good news. Don't let the culture convince you that it's not. This is the greatest news that has ever been announced. God has made a way for us to have our sins forgiven. Jesus, the God-man, came. He walked this earth. He lived a sinless life. He perfectly fulfilled the will of the Father. He went to the cross in our place. He took our punishment on himself for our rebellion. He died. He, he went to the grave. He took sin and death by the throat. He destroyed sin and death. He rose victoriously. Then he ascended into heaven. This is good news. God has made a way for every person who will put their faith in Jesus to be reconciled to him. And don't forget what good news this is. When we remember how good this news is, it makes us compelled to share it. The third lie that we often believe that keeps us from sharing our faith is that maybe the people that I know, they've already, they've already heard about Jesus and rejected him. Here's the truth. The majority of people have not heard the real truth about Jesus. You might have heard them say, yeah, I don't believe all that. They don't believe all what? You know, they, they might say, I don't buy into the whole Jesus thing. Well, if you were to ask them, do you know who Jesus said that he was? I'd be willing to bet they couldn't answer that question. So they've probably, in many cases, rejected a version of Jesus that is not the real Jesus. Most likely, especially in our context, they have not heard the truth about Jesus. They've heard, you know, maybe what the media has told them or what they've gleaned from movies or friends, but they have not heard the truth from the Word of God. They need to hear the truth. They need to be introduced to the real Jesus. And your witness is what can provide that for them. The fourth lie that we often believe that keeps us from sharing our faith is evangelism, that's not my gift. Maybe you've read that there's these certain gifts that are given to the church and evangelism is one of them. Well, that's not my gift. So I don't need to share my faith. Well, you know, what if one of the gifts is acts of service? 
What if I said, well, acts of service really isn't my gift. So at missional community, when everybody's, you know, preparing the meal and cleaning up after the meal, what if I just sat over to the side and said, you guys get that. Acts of service isn't my gift. No, I mean, if acts of service isn't my gift, then the, the very thing I need to do is dive in. I need to work on that, right? If it doesn't come naturally for me, then I really need to work on that. Don't believe just because evangelism is not your gift that you aren't called to do it. The fifth lie that we believe is that what, what I've already done is, is all I can do. What I've done is enough. Here's the truth. As a follower of Jesus matures, so does their yield. As we grow in Christ, so does the fruit that we produce. You are never done until you breathe your last breath on this earth. You are never done serving the Lord. Don't ever become satisfied with who you've already reached or who you've already shared with. Maybe you were the person who, when you came to faith in Jesus, you went and you told everyone you knew. Marie, this is you, right? I mean, Marie, Marie told everyone, I love it. It was like, Marie got saved and all of Wilmington knew it. And it was amazing. She probably has the gift of evangelism. Maybe that's you. Maybe you shared with everyone you knew. And then you start to feel like, well, you know, I, I've already shared with them. What else can I say? But don't think that way. God is maturing you. And so you need to go back to them and have more conversations with them. You have new perspective and new understanding. And God may have been doing a work in their heart behind the scenes. So don't believe the lie that, well, all I've done, that's, that's all I can do. And besides that, our mission field is the world. If you've shared with every person in the valley, which I don't even think Marie has done, but if that's you, then move somewhere else. We've got a huge mission field, guys. I mean, we are never done. We are never done. So, these are some of the lies that, that we, we might have believed that we need, we, need to, we need to throw them out. We don't need to believe these things that that Satan throws at us to keep us from sharing our faith. But how do we do this practically? Well, I'm just going to share three things. This is super simple. Three things to help us move forward in sharing our faith. And I think this is going to be really encouraging to you. I, I, I hope it is. Um, here's, here's the first thing that, that I think that we need to do to be a better witness of Jesus. We need to pursue joy in God. You say, well, how does that have anything to do with being a witness for Jesus? It has everything to do with being a witness for Jesus. Because Jesus, he was more joyful than any of his companions. He says to his disciples in John 15, guys, I'm telling you the stuff I'm telling you so that you can have my joy and you know what they didn't do is they didn't say, your joy, what are you talking about? Why would we want that? 
No, Jesus said that because he knew that he had a contagious, desirable joy. It, it spilled out of him. And so when he said that, his disciples went, I can have his joy? I can have that joy? He had a desirable joy. Do you have a desirable joy? The first step, the first step to being a good witness for Jesus is to exude his joy. Because when you have his joy, people will be drawn to that. The fact is that most people who don't know Jesus are first drawn to Christians before they're drawn to Christ. Do you have a joy that people want? If not, then I encourage you, pursue joy in God. What do I mean by that? I mean, pursue greater intimacy with God. The key to greater joy is greater relationship with God. This is, this is massively important if we're to be witnesses. Remember what it said in 1 Peter 3.15 that I read earlier. Always be ready to give a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Is anyone going to ask you a reason for the hope that is within you if you don't have joy? Is anyone going to ask you if you walk around, you know, like this all the time? No. Isn't this encouraging, though, that God wants us to pursue greater joy? John Piper says that God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. God is more glorified as you are more satisfied in him. See, when we are satisfied in God, we stop looking for satisfaction everywhere else. And as you are full of joy, John Piper says that praise naturally overflows. It's the natural response of joy. It's natural to be a witness for Christ when you are so full of joy in God. So step one, pursue greater joy by pursuing greater intimacy. Psalm 126, one through three says, when the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. This is a prophetic of our salvation. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. Then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. We are glad. When their mouth was filled with laughter and their tongue with shouts of joy, then they said, the Lord has done great things for them. You see that connection? Our joy is like an arrow that points people to the hope that is within us, which is Christ. We're called to represent Jesus as his ambassadors, and we cannot do that well if we don't have his joy. All right, the second practical step. Pay attention to the Holy Spirit. The best witnesses are those who are simply paying attention to the promptings of the Holy Spirit and obeying. They're being led by the Holy Spirit. 
Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. He did that by being led by the Holy Spirit within him. And the same Holy Spirit that was within him is within us. He told his disciples, look, I want to make you fishers of men. I want to teach you how to catch men in the net of the kingdom. We have the Holy Spirit to lead us into this. We simply do that by being led by the Holy Spirit moment by moment. When you're sitting in the restaurant, when you are at work, when you're talking to a friend, be attentive. Listen for what the Holy Spirit is saying. What is he prompting you to do? And then respond. When you do that, what happens is your spiritual conversations don't feel like an ambush. They feel natural. Because when God is leading it, then doors are open. You're not having to kick the door in. And it takes away a lot of what causes us to be fearful. A lot of what causes us to be fearful is maybe we've tried to, you know, to force a conversation without being led by the Holy Spirit. But that, that brings up another point. We need to pray. We need to ask God to help us to discern when he's leading us, when he's giving us promptings to follow. So pray for doors that are open and the eyes to see those open doors. And have confidence that God wants you He wants to lead you into these conversations. And the third thing, the third thing that I think will help us to be a better witness for Christ is to look for people of peace. Most of the time when we think about conversations that we have had or that, you know, oh, I need to talk to this person. The person that we think of is the most hostile person that we know, isn't it? They're the one that really stands out in our mind. They're the ones that we constantly remember. Oh, that one person that was really angry when I talked to them about Jesus. It's part of Satan's schemes. He wants us to think about the hostile people. But here's an encouragement for us. I believe that God has prepared people's hearts in advance. Certain people God has placed in your life And they are just waiting to hear this good news. The Holy Spirit has them primed and ready. Here's what Jesus says to his disciples when he's just sending them out on their own to preach the kingdom. He's sending them out, and here's what he says. Luke 10, verse 5 and 6, he says, Whatever house you enter, first say, Peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him But if not, it will return to you. What he's saying is, when you go to a house, this is a common greeting. Shalom. How you doing? How goes it in Vermont? Uh, How goes it? And they they go, well, uh, it's, it's going good. It's going great. If they receive you, they're a person of peace. He says, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. And then he goes on. He says, verse 10 and 11. But whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town that clings to our feet, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God 
has come near. What he says is, if they don't receive you, then move on until you find someone who receives you. What he's not saying is if they don't receive the gospel right away. He's not saying that, you know, if they don't immediately put their faith in Jesus, then you walk away. He's saying if they're hostile, if they don't receive you, if they won't listen to you, then move on to someone who will. We call them a person of peace. Someone who receives us. Someone who seems to be drawn to us for some reason. Someone who will listen to us for some reason. Who are the people in your life that you know of already that are people of peace? I mean, who is it that just will sit and listen to you for hours? Who is it that just seems to like you for some reason? And it may be that they are the people of peace. What if we started seeing every person that is open to us, that's really drawn to us, as someone that God wants us to share Jesus with? What if we just started there? Right? I mean, imagine, we would have our hands full sharing Jesus. We'd have enough people to to be sharing Jesus with all the time. We just said, well, if someone is open to me, if someone receives me, then I'm going to share Jesus with them. So I would encourage you to pray. Ask God to show you people of peace, people who are open to you. People are receptive to you. And it may very well be that it's because God has gone before you and he has prepared their hearts for you to have that conversation. So, who is it? Who, who is it in your life? If you don't know, if you don't have people of peace, then pray and ask God to show you people of peace. Ask God to introduce you to people of peace. But most of you probably already have a few people in mind. You can probably already think of a few people that are just really drawn to you. They just seem to like you for some reason. They'll give you an ear. Go to them and tell them your story. Tell them about what Jesus has done for you. I think if, if we do this, whether we are introverted or we are the type A extrovert, whatever our disposition, we can all do this. We can all pursue greater joy. We can, we can all be more sensitive, more attentive to the Holy Spirit's promptings. And we can all look for and pray for people of peace to share our story with. No matter where you are on the spectrum, no matter how shy or outgoing you are, we can all do this, right? And see, here's the thing. This is our calling. I mean, ultimately, we're still here because we're supposed to be witnesses. I mean, in Philippians, Paul says, guys, this is the whole reason that I'm still alive. I'm convinced that I'm still here because I'm here for your joy in the faith. I'm here because because you need more joy in the faith. I'm here for you guys. We're still on this planet because God has us here for others. 
We're here to glorify the Lord and to be witnesses to Jesus. And it's really encouraging to me that we can do that by pursuing joy, by being led naturally by the Holy Spirit and by having conversations with people of peace that are already in our lives. The church is not called to, you know, put up our defenses and hold off the enemy until he returns. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. The gates, gates are defensive means. Hell cannot hold back the church from moving forward. We are to be on the offensive, to be moving forward, charging forward. Wilmington is our Father's field. This valley is our dad's land. And when we go and reap a harvest, it is not trespassing. Our enemy is trespassing. So we can go forth with confidence. This is, this is my dad's land. These are his kids. How does the kingdom advance? How do we How do we charge the gates of hell? By sharing Jesus with one person at a time. Don't become overwhelmed by all the people that you know who don't know Jesus. Pray for one person, two people, that God wants you to have a conversation with. Start there. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to take 30 seconds we're going to be really quiet. Emmett's going to go ahead and come on up and on. And we're going to take 30 seconds. And if you have a person of peace already in mind, then we're going to take this 30 seconds to pray that God would open a door for you to have a conversation with them about your faith. If you don't already know who the person of peace is in your life, then we're going to take this time to pray that God would show you people of peace. And, and it may be that in this, right now, in this time, he's going to reveal someone to you. And then pray for them. Pray that God would open the door for that conversation to happen. All right, so let's pray. God, would you use us? I pray that I pray that you would convince us thoroughly that we need to pursue our joy in you. That we need to stop looking for satisfaction outside of you because we will always come up empty. Lord, I pray that we would pursue greater relationship with you in your word, in time with you, in obedience to you. Lord, I pray that we would go from here being led by your spirit, that we would 
that we would um, exercise discernment, that we would get better and better at listening to and obeying the promptings of your spirit. And I ask, Lord, that you would show us who the people of peace are in our lives. And introduce us to new people of peace and give us the confidence to start those conversations, to tell them our story and to tell them what Jesus has done for them. Lord, I pray that as a result, we would see all of Southern Vermont filled with disciples of Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen.